Welcome to Living Off Course. Join us if you're fascinated by people who break free of societal norms to live life on their own terms. I'm Zita Moran, and with my co-host, Janie Lim, we're exploring what it takes to live a life that's authentically yours. Hello, everyone. On today's episode of Living Off Course, we interview Kung Fu master Ian Armstrong, a real-life superhero. Ian spent 39 years mastering the Chinese art of Kung Fu. During that time, he's won two world titles, coached the British international team, and even performed for the Queen of England. Learn how Ian has used Kung Fu to master superhuman feats like being chopped full force in the belly with an axe. It's truly unbelievable the things that this man can do. And if all that wasn't impressive enough, Ian's also opened the first Kung Fu retreat in northern Thailand where he continues to teach interested students in the ancient art of Kung Fu. Join us as we learn how Ian got to where he is and the secrets behind his seemingly superhuman feats. Thank you so much for joining us, Ian. Really appreciate it. Right, yeah, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. So as um, we've been looking at your videos and um, reading oh, all the right, amazing yeah. content yeah. about you, yeah, it's just both of us <laughs> just in absolute yeah. awe of yeah. the level of mastery that you've got to with Kung Fu. It's like, what were you saying, Janie? He's like, a, it's like interviewing a superhero. <laughs> yes, I am super excited for this interview, actually, like, uh, yeah. I don't know. I remember the last time I've been so excited. Well, I, I hope I don't disappoint you. I'm very normal, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, no. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, truly, Ian, do you feel like yeah. you're normal? Because you do things which would seem superhuman to most people. Yeah, that's quite interesting, actually, that if you don't understand how to do something, then it can often seem really quite magical. And once you do really understand how to do it, it seems actually very normal. So it's just a kind of matter of perception, really. Yeah, I mean, that's what we do in Kung Fu. You know, we kind of train and train and put a lot of hard work into doing all these kind of amazing things. Now I'm kind of like a bit of an old Kung Fu guy looking back and you build up and you spend a long, long time training to do something. And the first time that you do it, it's an incredible buzz. You know, you, you really are high as a kite. And you do a, a particularly difficult demonstration for the first time and maybe you don't sleep that night because you're so kind of pumped. And then you do it again and then you have to be careful that you don't get complacent. But by the time you've done it a hundred times, it doesn't seem that amazing at all. It's, oh, yeah, I've got to do that one again. And so it's kind of ironic, really, that it wears off. And I'm probably the least excited person in the place when I do it for the hundredth time. Yeah. I guess that comes with mastery, I suppose. Yeah, that's a good saying, actually, in Kung Fu, that the difference between the student and the master is that the student makes the easy look difficult and the master makes the difficult look easy. It's kind of disappointing, really, because it feels easy and then you, you wonder what, what all the fuss is about. But then you look back and you think, it didn't look easy when I was the student looking on at the master and wishing I could do that, yeah. But you seem like the kind of guy that is always striving. So what's next? Yeah. That's a very interesting one. What's next is the next generation. 
the real test of the master is to pass on the art to the next generation. That's the function of the master. That's the responsibility of the master. It's getting harder and harder as people's patience becomes less and less. I'm doing pretty well. I've got some good students. And, you know, my for me now, it's all about that transmission to the next generation. But right now, it's taken on a very interesting turn. We had, at the start of this year, the, the plan was that we'd spend this year really trying to get the, the Kung Fu retreat here in Thailand into top shape and make sure that we, we had good student numbers and get this place really ticking over. And then 2021 was about starting up online membership and getting the people over the internet. And then it seems like a long time, but it re in reality, it was about a month ago that suddenly we don't get any more students because everything is locked down for the virus. And we've got a couple of people that are still here, but Thailand has closed its borders. So unless you have a very special reason, foreigners come in. And then our province within Thailand, the 76 provinces, and ours is like the most remote one right up in the corner. And province is not allowing foreigners to enter. So oh. if you're not a Thai, you can't come into Nei Hong Son. If you're here already, you're okay. You can stay here, but you can't move between addresses. You've got to kind of stay put. So we can't get any more students. Therefore, we can't get any money. And we've got big expenses. So we're quite up against it. So what we're doing is going flat out to launch the online membership as soon as we can. Yeah, we're kind of working seven days a week at the moment to try and enable online membership within about a month or so. So in terms of what's next, that's it. I guess we're like a lot of people, everybody is trying to shift online as fast as they possibly can at the moment. Now, actually, it's quite a good thing because we've wanted to do something like this for a long time. And it's very easy to be lazy. It's very easy to put things off. I mean, that's it's hard work. That's a big job. You know, well, starting it next year seems like, OK, we've got a, we've got a definite date. We're going to get on and do it. But uh, now it's, it's that big kick up the backside that gets you moving. It's like, OK, we can't. We're running out of money, got about enough money to last us a week into May and then there's panic stations because we haven't got any money. So I'll have to get hold of some from somewhere to tide us through until probably one or two weeks into May we should be able to launch online and see how we do. It'll take a while to build up. It seems luckily you've developed the mechanism for um, facing challenges. So it seems like, yeah. yeah. Well, to a large extent, that's what Kung Fu is about. It's yes, about exactly. challenging yourself. Actually, mm -hmm. you could say it's about mastering yourself. The question often arises, well, what, what makes you a master? And there's no clear definition. But if you go and kind of delve deeply into it, probably the only, the only good answer is that a master is somebody who's mastered themselves. And that's mm -hmm. basically what it's about. And everybody would like to say, yeah, you know, I've kind of got on top of myself. Most people can't. So Kung Fu is about confronting yourself, confronting your ego, knowing yourself, and then kind of mastering yourself in a sense of, okay, I can, I've got the self-control, the self-discipline uh, to do what I want rather than just act on impulse. Yeah, I guess we're well positioned really to do it. Quite interesting, you know, what we're seeing at the moment 
the majority of people, you know, they're handling the situation really well. It's kind of difficult for everybody globally, I think, at the moment. And most people, they're on it and they're handling it well. And then you've got a proportion of people that aren't and they're kind of falling apart and blaming people around them, taking it out on other people which is a bad thing to do. And then you've got a small minority of people who are kind of saying, well, okay, with, with adversity comes opportunity. As everything changes, opportunities arise and you've got to kind of jump in and take the opportunity and actually use it as a way of growing. That's what we're striving to do, to say, right, you know, we're, we're, not, like, we're not just going to weather the storm, but we're going to make something good come of it. Yeah, I really hear that. And I feel like you offering something like Kung Fu online will help other people do the same, which is a real uh, gift. Yeah, our approach to Kung Fu is kind of a, a different one to what a lot of people have. So and I guess a lot of this stems from me that I'm quite sort of philosophical and I contemplate things and really interested in the whole package, you know, the, the kind of the culture, the history of Kung Fu, the philosophy, the tradition, the ethos. And actually a lot of people want that, but they often don't get it. What you get is a, a kind of a workout and a self-defense course. In putting Kung Fu online, you know, what we're trying to do is deliver on the whole package. So it's probably kind of a bit like the thinking person's Kung Fu, but I'm quite positive about humanity. I think there's a lot of thinking people out there, so I think it'll do well. Absolutely. Actually, can we uh, get back to the basics and can you describe what Kung Fu is and what it means to you? The the words Kung Fu are obviously are Chinese words, and if you translate them into English, it means something like the product of hard work over a long time. So Kung Fu is something that you gain through hard work and study. And if it's used in its original Chinese sense, it could apply to uh, being a great cook or a great calligrapher. It could even be applied to flower arranging, which is kind of pretty shocking, really. But yeah, Kung Fu is discipline that will take you through life. And it gives life, like I said, discipline, a structure and a goal. But it's also your kind of Kung Fu family. And with family comes community. So it builds a lot of connections. And it's like most things, you get out of it what you put in. But if you really pursue it, it opens up a lot of opportunities. So I'm just thinking it. Oh, now I've visited over 30 countries and nearly always it's in conjunction with doing Kung Fu. So I travel to lots of places, seen lots of things I wouldn't seen, have ever seen otherwise, done lots of things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. So it's very much opened up my life. And I didn't come from a background where I expected to much in the way of opportunities. So yeah, it's definitely changed my life. Like I say, you only get out what you put in. Yeah, I actually, yeah, we wanted to ask you about that, actually, because we were both intrigued when we read about us on your Kung Fu retreat website, how you said, even if I won the lottery, I would still get up at 4.45 a.m. to teach and I wouldn't ever change anything about it. And that's most people's dream. And I know that you described at the beginning that like you just touched on now that you come from a background where you didn't expect much in terms of opportunity and so to go from there 
heir to living everyone's dream, which is at that quote that you gave us of find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life from Confucius that you were saying really resonated with you. Can you speak to a bit about, about kind of what maybe the driving force was to get you from being in, in that kind of um, background, going to job that you love or a lifestyle that you love? Yeah, that's an interesting yes. one I, because I, I think to some extent that I do have a lot of drive. I'm a quite driven person. My mother was like that as well. She was very, very kind of driven. And I've also got a bit of a knack to see an opportunity when it arises. It's just really a question of you see a chance and you you take the chance. And this is where I feel that a lot of people maybe fall down. Actually, lots of chances present themselves, but don't take the chance. So, I mean, being more specific, I think, well, you said um, one of the great keys to success in life is recognizing an opportunity. So was it the opportunity after you got beat up when you were 14, the first time you got beat up, that you just realized that you had to skill up in order to fight stronger and better? Was that the first opportunity you spotted that led you down this path? Well, to sort of elaborate on the story, when I was a youngster, we used to fight a lot. That's what it was like. I was on the outskirts of London, and it was a pretty kind of boring kind of existence. So we used to fight a lot. I never used to think that I needed to do martial arts because I was winning. So it's like, what do I need to yeah. do martial arts for, you know, because I can beat up people that do martial arts. So it can't be that good. And then finally, I got beaten up by a boxer. And, you know, I put up a really, really good fight. And I had a really badly broken nose two cuts on the face. The nose didn't stop bleeding for a week. Couldn't stop the bleeding for a week. And it was broken. And it still bends to one side. You can see the nose bends to one side. And I thought, yeah, you know what? If you can't beat them, join them. So two weeks later, the nose hadn't healed, but I was already at the boxing club learning to box. You know, when it came down to it, I wasn't a great boxer. You kind of know I'm not going to make it as a boxer. So I backed off doing that. And it was only when I went to university that got the opportunity to do Kung Fu because so you back in the 1970s, you didn't have this kind of widespread martial arts that you have now. Now in the West, everywhere has got just about every martial art. So you look around and you pick which one you want, but it wasn't like that then. So in 1981, I started university in London and I looked through the prospectus and you've got all these different martial arts clubs. But I, I started off doing Kung Fu and Taekwondo and I had to kind of make a decision between the two. And I like the Kung Fu. It was, more, it was more inspiring. There was more depth. There was more sort of philosophy. And I got on quite well. And then in 1987, I got the opportunity to go to Singapore for a competition and demonstration. Never been out, out of Europe before. Never been anywhere like that before. Because people didn't travel anything like so much. So, yeah, it was a great chance, great opportunity. Off I went. Totally kind of a uh, real paradigm shift. You know, it's a really life-changing experience. I managed to get really sick while I was out there because we didn't really know how to cope with hot weather and different food <laughs> and everything. But the master out there was very keen to get some good Western students because he wanted to expand the club out into the Western world. And he started, there was a few of us who he was trying to teach up with a view to our being teachers in the future. And yeah, I guess 
probably about a dozen to begin with. And in the end, there was only two of us that stuck it out. It's myself and a guy called Dougal, my training brother. And more than anything else, you need kind of dogged determination and refusal to give up. I bet. We were saying that. Yeah, that's what got us trying. I don't want to say he was particularly naturally talented, but I don't give up. That, that seemed to make the difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was there, we were actually wondering about that. What was it about Kung Fu that made you want to stick it out to be determined? Was there, what was driving you, oh, I suppose? It's very hard to say. Maybe two things, both related. One of them was that this was a, a great, kind of opportunity to do something really kind of elaborate and exotic and mind-blowingly different at a time when it wasn't so easy to do that as it is now. I was born in St. Helia Hospital and sort of around Sutton, Carshorton is where my family come from. And Sutton, Carshorton breed a lot of really tough characters, actually. It's this environment where everybody's trying to be hard, you know, everybody's trying to be mm-hmm. harder than everybody else. And, you know, it's just these kind of cold, wet, grey nights, you know, walking home through the estate, having punch-ups. And it does, you know, I could kind of rant on a lot about it. Where does it lead you? Where does it take you? And then suddenly, you know, I just got this opportunity to go to places like Singapore and Thailand and Indonesia and Malaysia and to kind of get out in a way that none of us ever expected we would get out. And again, it's if you got the opportunity, take it. And the other thing, again, I know it's very much part of that kind of mindset. Everybody's got to be harder than everybody else. And it's a downward spiral. Some people get really badly hurt few people get killed and a lot of people end up in prison it really screws up your life and you know a lot of the people that a lot of the guys that I grew up with they ended up in prison you come out but kind of limits your opportunities yeah one of the one of the guys that I knew very well he ended up writing a book he's one of these kind of celebrity uh kind of armed robbers now the way that he finished up his, his first book, he says, you know, I'm 49 now, spent more than half my life in prison, and I'm one of the chaps, I'm one of the hard men. But in the end, where's it got me? Where does it get you? That's the kind of the, what everybody wants to be. Round Sutton, round Croydon, everybody wants to be that hard man. He's harder than everybody else. And like, like I say, this was, a, it was kind of a way out. And at the same time, it's a sort of gradual way out because I... I had a lot of fight in me, but I needed uh, to be kind of channeled in a positive direction. And Kung Fu does that. It kind of, you still got that credible thing, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hard, yeah, you know, I'm doing martial arts. Um, and also you do Kung Fu and there's, you have to find the right teacher. That's another Kung Fu saying, you know, when the time is right, the student will find the master. And I've done Kung Fu for about six years in England, but that trip to Singapore Okay, I met the, the boss master out there, and he was a very tough character. He was a very, very demanding teacher, but he was exactly what I needed because he, he had no qualms in telling me exactly what I needed to do to sort my act out. He would just say, yeah, I am telling you, you do this, you do that, and do not do whatever. And at the time, I was, I was 25, and he would have been about, 45 and we were used to we were the 25 you're kind of physically at your peak you know we used to being you know we're the young fit tough strong aggressive guys who we call the shots 
And there's this relatively old guy. And he was tough, but he didn't look terrifically kind of fit or strong. But you knew that he could take you apart. And there were some quite, really quite meek-looking, nice-looking older guys at the Kung Fu Club. But when they did something, it was like, wow, that was really inspiring. And because of that, I'd listen to him. If you had a, back at home in England, you know, if you had, say, a teacher at school, they're an older guy and they look quite weak and mild and they say, oh, you know, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. It's like, well, who are you to tell me? You know, you're just some, what are you? You know, you're not tough. You're not strong. You don't know what you're doing. You've got no kind of streetwise. Why should I listen to you? But the Kung Fu master, when he spoke, and we'd all listen because we know that that guy would knock us flat if he felt like it, yeah. And that's always that's kind of how it works. The, the Kung Fu master's job is to put all the kind of young guys straight. But the only thing that gives him the authority to do that is that if you don't listen to me, I'll knock you out. And is it also that he, you feel that he's a master because you have respect for the fact that he's a master of himself as well? Or is it more just the, the yeah. physical? I mean, the, well, yeah, because you can see that nobody is born being great at Kung Fu. Nobody is just naturally great at Kung Fu. You only get there through a lifetime of hard work. And once you start practicing, you realize how hard it is. And you realize how much work these old guys have put in over the years to get where they are. And it's like, wow, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for you because I know what you've been through. Because I'm going through it now. But I mean, imagine from the perspective of a beginner, you know, I've slaved away for three months to get where I am now, you know, and it's tough going. It's been hard and I've done, you know, I've survived three months. And there's this guy over here that's done 40 years. How much work has that involved? So is a part of it, is it an obsession? Do you live and breathe Kung Fu? So when you have a, a new move to master, which I'd, I'd like to get into a little bit later, some of the uh, feats yeah. that we've saw, seen you do are truly mind-blowing. Yes and no. It's a yes and no. That particularly for me, you know, I run a kung fu retreat. I live here. I'm surrounded by my students and my teachers who I've trained. And I've got a big responsibility to them. So I've got to be the kung fu master all the time. I can't say, right, I'm going home now. I'm going to do something else. So to do it, I mean, you can't, it's not something you can switch on and switch off. You have to come from the heart. You've just got to do it. You've got to live it. You've got to be it. Oh, so Ian, then would you say that Kung Fu becomes a way of life more than just oh, martial absolutely, arts? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is absolutely a way of life. And there's no doubt about that. And as a teacher, people have high expectations. As a master, you know, you've got to have, they've got super high expectations. And you have to live up to those. But I'm kind of laughing a bit because at the same time, it is work. You know, it's my job. You don't get much chance to have life outside of kung fu but it's great a little bit that i do so ironically people say you know do you watch a lot of kung fu films it's like i don't don't watch them at all really but i rarely watch any sort of films or tv you know i look things up on youtube but it's a little bit different it's kind of a sad point of it but when teaching kung fu or doing kung fu is your job, after a while, it does seem like work. So it's not like okay, every minute of free time I've got, I want to be trying to, to do kung fu. You do kind of think, oh, God, thank goodness I can have a bit of a rest. But then, I mean, the reality is that most people, even most teachers, they do give up after a while. 
So it's only the minority that, that actually stick it out. And why do you think that is that people give up after a while? Because it's hard work. Yeah. It's hard work, yeah. Remember the definition of Kung Fu, hard work over a long time. It doesn't get any easier. It's pretty obvious. It, actually, it gets more difficult because now I'm 57 and I've got to try to still do all these moves that are quite difficult when you're 25. It gets harder as you get older. It's hard work. So uh, what strikes me in this is um, the idea of power versus force. So how would that apply to Kung Fu? Yeah, have you heard of the, the Tao Te Ching is the kind of the classic yes, Taoist exactly, text. Yeah. You know, one of the mm -hmm. passages in the Tao Te Ching is that mastering others is strength, mastering yourself is true power. You know, I guess to some extent Kung Fu is the, the pursuit of power, but it's an elusive thing, especially in the 2020 being able to beat people up, it doesn't necessarily do you a lot of good because it just gets you into trouble. And it's kind of going back to that was the lifestyle that I needed to leave behind, just constantly slugging it out with other people. Kung Fu, and there's a lot of wisdom in there. There's wisdom says restraint. Wisdom says persuasion rather than something done without needing to use force. That's one of the kind of lessons that that's the difference again between the master and the student. The better the master, the less they have to say. You know, sometimes it's just like a quiet nod or whatever. Yeah, you know, mm. we do, we'll do this. And it's funny how the people do, we will do it. I mean, power is the ability to get things done. The self discipline, the self knowledge, self mastery of Kung Fu, you end up being quite capable, quite competent. You can get things done. I love that. Power is the ability to get things done. I know. I really <laughs> I love that um, line. I was also, it really struck me how you do talk about Kung Fu in terms of personal development as well. Yeah. That kind of, how it isn't, it's so much more than just, I'm learning how to defend myself. It's Yeah. Well, that's what it is. It is personal development. That's what it's all about. You know, like I say, that first trip to Singapore, seeing these old guys, it's not only that they're still useful, they can still fight, but they're still kind of healthy on top of themselves. And if you take a look at the Western approach to sport, it may be changing a little bit now, but generally speaking, it goes something like this. I'll do sport to keep me fit and healthy. I'll keep doing that. And... I'll do it until I get to well, maybe about 35 and then I'll burn out. I'll push myself too far, too hard and I'll burn out. I get to my mid-30s and say, oh, no, I'm too old for this, I'm too old for football. So I ret retire. So we retire from football or whatever and instead we kind of exercise our biceps by lifting pint glasses and exercise our triceps with a full cue and it all goes downhill from there. Mm. we end up a bit of a wreck and at the boxing club that was exactly what it was like you had the young super fit super capable young boxers and then they had all the coaches and the coaches were invariably kind of fairly messed up old guys who used to turn up to the boxing club teach the young lads and then head for the pub afterwards and mm. down a good few beers and in contrast that with the kind of the oriental approach to health and fitness, which you see in martial arts and yoga. And if you think of a Kung Fu master, just visualize a Kung Fu master for a moment. Everybody's visualization will be different, but everybody I've ever met visualized an old guy. 
it's always an old one. Martial arts or yoga, the expectation is that you're working towards being that old person that's just super amazing. And despite the fact they're old, they can run rings around all these young people. They're super fit. They're completely on top of themselves. In reality, it may not always be exactly like that, but that's the goal. If you look at the old yogis, these old men that can do things that the average 25-year-old has got no chance to do. In the Eastern way of thinking, it's ridiculous to do something that keep you fit that's going to burn you out in your mid-30s and destroy you. But that's exactly what general Western approach to sport is. It's, it's, It's bonkers. The smart approach is to say, you know, I'm going to look after myself so that when I get old, I'm going to be in top shape. And to make it a kind of a way of life as well, to have that relationship with your body rather than it's just something that's good in my youth. And then when I get older, it's just going to atrophy. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah. seems to be a lot of people's Um, mindsets. Definitely. When you look at it in that sense, you know, in that kind of stark clarity, it's absolutely absurd to say, right, you know, I'll, I'll be great at sport, I'll be really fit until I get about halfway through life and then I'll just give up and let it all fall apart. I think it's changing a bit now, but what, back in the 1970s, that's exactly what everybody expected. You got to 30, 35 and you gave up because sports people were all young people. After all, young people are fit and old people aren't. They're past it. That's how we all saw it. And that was that big kind of wake-up call going to Singapore and seeing these old guys that weren't like that at all. They weren't giving up. They weren't going to retire. They were going to stick it out right until the end. Yeah, that was the big. Then again, you see the opportunity. Don't hesitate. You've got to take it. Okay. So, Ian, are you still able to do those um, uh, those acts of, like, feats of uh, wonder that we saw in your video, like having an axe? Um, is it like a, a real axe? Being hit with an axe, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did. Uh, last time I did that was just sort of, I think it was towards the end of last year. But no doubt I'll do it again. Wow. So what kind of preparation do you have to do to be hit with an axe and not let it touch your skin? I mean, not let your oh. skin react to it, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, you have to do a lot of kung fu training. It's the, it's the simple answer. If you want detailed answer, it's kind of attitudes are changing, but we're in Western thinking, we're used to thinking that strength equates to muscle. Now, that's not entirely true because a lot of strength to a large extent comes down to the fascia, which is the kind of tenderness connective tissue that we've got running right through our bodies. and. How come you get these very thin guys that are super strong? And how come the really big guys with a lot of muscle can't do the things that the skinny guys can sometimes do? And it's down to the strength of the fascia. For example, gymnasts. Gymnasts are phenomenally strong. And the sort of things that the gymnast does on the rings, you never get a bodybuilder able to do that. They can never do the cross on the rings. It's fascia as opposed to muscle. If your fascia, your kind of tenderness, sinuous tissue is really strong, then you can take a surprising amount of pounding and not break. So that's part of it there. But different performances, they all rely on different things. And it's not all the same. It's not the same thing that's going on every time. But if you take being hit with the axe, everybody who looks at it thinks, wow, you know, you're going to get hit with something. You've got to tense your muscles, tense up, be strong. Do that 
and you're headed for trouble. There's a great Chinese saying that says strength is like a reed that bends in the wind. Have you noticed that the Chinese are obsessed with the kind of black watercolour paintings of bamboo, bamboo fronds, bamboo leaves? Bamboo is the kind of the epitome of the Tao. It's incredibly strong, it's incredibly light, and it's incredibly flexible. So if you get a strong wind that's strong enough to strap to snap a big tree, the bamboo will just sway around. It will sway in the wind. It doesn't break. It doesn't snap. It's flexible. And it goes with the force of the wind, moves with it. Kung Fu is supposed to operate exactly like that. You don't oppose strength with strength. You're flexible. You're adaptable. You kind of bend with the strength and spring back. And in terms of how you use the body, when the axe hits you, then you don't tense up because you don't want the body to be hard and brittle. You want the body to be like a piece of rubber so that it comes in and it pushes in and then it bounces out because something elastic doesn't break, but something mm. rigid does. I don't know if they still do this in schools in Britain, but we used to have to dive into a swimming pool to get this big black rubber brick out. I think they, yeah, they still do it. I'm not sure what they banned it. It's kind of like, like cruelty to children now, but yeah. <laughs> it's had these great that. big black rubber bricks, really sort of solid. So if you took an axe or a sledgehammer and you hit a real brick, the brick cracks. There's no doubt about it. You take the axe or the hammer and you hit that big rubber brick, it's going to bounce off. And you could spend all afternoon whacking away at it and it's not going to crack. So what's true strength? Is true strength the hardness of the brick or is it the flexibility of the rubber? Did you have a few accidents in the training process? Very few. I had a few very minor cuts, but I've generally come out of it very well. But I've trained a lot of other people who haven't come out of it so well. And I have a lot of confidence and you need to be confident to do this kind of stuff. But I've also got a very good degree of concentration and you need to have absolute concentration when you're doing it because a small lapse in concentration and it all goes horrifically wrong. So I've seen some quite messy kind of accidents going on involving a lot of blood. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's partly concentration. Maybe it's just some people are born to do it and some people are not born to do it. Okay, but that's definitely a don't try this at home. It's kind of try this at home if you're really, really stupid and you just really want to hurt yourself. All the kind of kung fu stunts, they are potentially very well. Some are potentially more dangerous than others, but some are potentially lethal. You need to train very progressively and very carefully in order to do them. Some people die as a result of doing them. They can lead to death, so it's not really a laughing matter. Well, yeah, like us, the broken glass one, I mean, that might not have been fatal, but just to explain for people who haven't seen the broken glass one, but yeah, you smashing the glass up, you rubbing it all over your body and also having people step on you whilst you, on your head, whilst your head was lying against broken glass. Yeah. Is that also directing chi as well? Yeah. It does involve tapping into your chi, which is your internal energy, and kind of using it to strengthen, to reinforce the body. That takes a lot of practice. That particular video, I was kind of pleased with that one because i good at kind of coming up with different slants on the traditional demonstrations. And the 
what I was taught by my teacher was wash the face in the broken glass, wash the body, and then lie on the broken glass while you have people stand on you or jump on you. But then I kind of extrapolated that out myself, that, well, if I can lie with my back on the glass, if I get it just right, I can lie with my face on the glass and have somebody standing on my head and kind of treading my face into the broken glass. So nobody ever taught me that when I worked it out for myself. It's <laughs> just and Janie's that, face as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's obviously, that's why you need to be confident because yeah. well, no one's ever done this before. But again, it's a massive buzz when you've done it and it works and you still have a face. Yeah. So you get a good feeling after you've done it. But I really can't emphasize strongly enough what a bad idea it would be to go out in the garden and try it. Yeah. Because it's potentially quite disastrous but that's so interesting and I know I'm aware of our time we're coming I was just reflecting you obviously through years and years of training you build up this it almost seems like you you live within this alternate reality in which the Mm. the laws of nature as we know it don't really affect you in the same ways because you've built up this internal strength probably looks like that but I'm not sure to what extent it really is like that it is and it isn't But what I'd suggest, in order to master yourself, you've got to know yourself. And that means you've got to know your limits. You've got to know your boundaries. If you look at how kind of rash young people like I used to be behave, there's a lot of kind of testing your personal limits, testing your personal boundaries. And it sounds a bit politically incorrect nowadays, but young males are far more prone to this than young females. You know, There is an overlap and you get some girls that are, are of the same mindset, but it's more likely to be the boys. They've got to test their limits, test their boundaries. And people go to all sorts of lengths to test their personal boundaries, whether it be through fighting or mountaineering or kind of trying to sail the Atlantic solo. Um, And what our kind of thing is, yeah, you know, just what can I do that people say isn't possible? I get whacked over the groin with a piece of wood. I can bend a spear with my throat. I can wash in broken glass. It's taking yourself to the absolute limit, testing and, you know, just almost going too far. But you've kind of, in the end, you find your personal boundaries but you do know where they lie. And you kind of end up with a calm and a confidence that most people don't have because it's like, yeah, most people, they never know, could I do it? Could I not do it? Could I have done it? I don't really know myself. I don't know my limits. But when you do, it kind of generates this confidence, which is what everybody associates with a Kung Fu master. Is it also that you've seen so many examples of like seemingly impossible acts that it fuels that confidence and that curiosity to be like, oh, if I can do that, and then how much further can I push that line? Well, within the kind of the realm of what we do, the Iron Shirt Chikung, it's like, yeah, I want to try this one, try that one. You do want to kind of find the limits, but but also, I think it defines a much, you end up with a much more clearly defined idea of what's possible and what's not. Now, there's some things that I've done, which I'm not going to talk about, but are just kind of completely crazy and mind-blowing. And you would probably not want to believe it. But at the same time, there's a lot of other things that people think, oh, you know, if you do Qigong, you can do this. If you do martial arts, you can do that. And the reality is, no, you can't. So 
you know your limits. I mean, the most obvious one is that nobody's invincible. Mm. And it doesn't matter whether you're a martial arts master, you can still be beaten up. Nobody is invulnerable and nobody's invincible. I know you have to go soon, but I'm, I'm super curious. When you're in these peak states or when you're doing something that seems impossible, like getting hit by an axe or in the glass, yeah. what is going on in your mind? That's an interesting one. You have to have total concentration. So it's the kind of ultimate Zen. Zen is about being present. It's about living in the present. You know, the mind not drifting off into the past or in the future, but holding your concentration in the present. There's no greater incentive to hold your concentration than timber axe kind of bearing down on your midsection. This is what I was trying to say earlier, that maybe, you know, I've got that concentration, but I've seen people who haven't lose a lot of blood. The mind has to be in this state of total focus, but it's also, I don't know, it's you have to gather up all of your chi, all of your energy. You have to be totally connected with your chi and totally focusing that chi on wherever you're going to be hit or cut or burnt or whatever to kind of override whatever's happening. So you have this total concentration and then afterwards you're as high as a kite, especially if you haven't done it many times before. It's just kind of massive, kind of high, super, super wired. So very often it's going to be difficult to sleep afterwards. So thinking how careful I should be about something. Oh, please Um, tell us. We we don't even have to include it, just for us. Okay, (laughs) Uh, we can decide with it. So usually you're kind of like really high. After that, you need either beer or women or possibly. Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Because, yeah, there's a lot of, just so much energy, so much energy in there. Do you need to channel it somewhere? Yeah, I can imagine. But it's kind of ironic because, you know, Kung Fu masters are are actually human after all. I mean, you can just go home and meditate. (laughs) That comes when you get a bit older, yeah. But, Ian, I think that that's the point. You do these superhuman acts, but it's actually accessible to anyone who has the discipline and the focus and the desire to pursue that path. But it is a complete way of life. That's what you're going to be teaching in your online courses, which is wonderful. Yeah, I have to uh, jump in and say that, yeah, I'm very keen to teach the kind of the full thing with the philosophy and everything, but we won't be teaching online how to be hit with an axe or wash your face in broken glass. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, usually in Kung Fu, only the very dedicated students are picked to do that kind of thing. It's not something like, can I do that today? It's the, (laughs) when you're ready, the master says, okay, yeah, yeah. Now you're ready, kind of thing. But that would not be wise to teach that in one. No way, I can imagine. (laughs) Even when we do go live, it will still be a work in progress. We can't wait for perfection. We need to get something out as quick as possible. And um, I just wondered if there was anything that you wanted to be remembered for or kind of any advice you would give to someone who wanted to live a life of their passions as you were doing. Hopefully, for being a person that preserved this art and gave it to the next generation and didn't let it die and therefore benefited a whole lot of people who wouldn't have had the opportunity to do it otherwise and the other so what, what advice would i give if you want to get out of the rat race first of all you have to see the opportunity 
And then you have to have the courage to take the opportunity, even though it means kind of jumping into the unknown. And there's inevitably going to be a risk. So you might be in a secure, but frankly, rather boring job with a pension. And uh, you're going to have to step out of that into an environment where nothing is certain. You have no salary. Everything's down to you. You've got to take total responsibility. But also, it's very important that you know what you like to do. Almost everybody has a passion. And if you're passionate about something, you have the potential to be good at it. And it could be something completely obscure. It could be something that a lot of people would laugh at. But if you are really into it, then you'll, there's no reason why you shouldn't make a success of it. That's your start point. Because what I see, I'm based out in northern Thailand, and I see a lot of people who come to Thailand or maybe somewhere else, Southeast Asia, now Central America is very popular. And they come and say, oh, it's great being out here. I want to look for a business so I can stay here too. And then they come up with some really weak idea for a business and it all falls apart. Don't start off by saying, oh, I think I could make some money doing that. Start off by saying, okay, what sort of lifestyle do I live? What do I want to do? What am I passionate about? Find something that you believe in and then do it. And at the first, it might not make you money. But if you stick it out and don't give up, it probably will. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Find something that you love. And kind of stick out it. Yeah. It wraps right around to the quote that we started with. Find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That's it. There's no reason why anybody can't do it. The hardest thing is knowing what you want. Getting what you want is relatively (laughs) easy. That's where most people slip up. Thank you yeah. so thank much, you, Ian. It's you. been yeah. an absolute yeah. pleasure. Okay, great. Yeah, it's been amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Living Off Course. For links to any resources, books, etc., that we mentioned in the show, please check out the show notes on our website, livingoffcourse.com. And to stay up to date with our latest episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasting platforms. Thank you so much again, and we look forward to seeing you next week.